Hello and welcome to Stock Talk, a podcast series which brings together livestock specialists, vets and farmers to give you the tools you need to improve your business and embrace the future. Stock Talk is presented by myself, Robert Ramsey, and produced by Kirsten Blackwood as part of the Farm Advisory Service in association with the Scottish Government. So in a slight change to what we have been doing on, on this Stock Talk podcast, eh, I'm joined today by Alan Cameron. So welcome, Alan. Eh, could you just introduce yourself a little and then we'll, we'll make a start from there. Yes, Robert. Uh, my name is Alan Cameron. I'm a farmer in Argentina. I've been farming for close to 40 years. Um, we are very connected to Scotland. I'm a fifth generation a Scottish descendant, fifth generation born out in Argentina, but has have close ties because uh, our secondary schooling, we are four brothers and all of us went to Fetish College in Edinburgh to do our secondary schooling. And I was lucky enough to spend quite a few of my school holidays with John Cameron, who's our relation. So I know a bit about uh, Scottish farming firsthand. Yeah, so an amazing story and, and, and exciting to have you on here. We we have been pretty Scottish based up till up till now, and I certainly was keen after you hosted us for a a SAYFC study tour, which is now nearly ten years ago. That was two thousand and fourteen. I was really lucky to get a tour around Argentina, and really, you blew our minds. You know what what. Argentina can do what it does what what it is is so exciting and with that in mind I was keen to get you on here just to have a bit a bit of a chat as to where things are or, or what happens in Argentina how it how it works and maybe some of the the many drawbacks as well because I think we we hear of South America as the you know it's the the breadbasket of the world and it's while we are dealing with climate change policy a South America is just going to feed us, but and, and I know there are political issues, environmental issues as well that are, are worthy of discussion later on as well. So, um, yeah, interest, interesting, and as I say, great, great to have you on. The I suppose the first question is what your farming operation in Argentina. So obviously, Scotland and Argentina are the similarities, but there's some huge differences. So one of them is scale. So what what are you farming? So what what is your operation? Okay, so our family farm is situated 500 kilometers due south of the capital of Buenos Aires, and we're only 20 miles from the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, in Argentina, any land that is croppable, where, wherever you can do agriculture, you do agriculture. Uh, cattle graze on inferior land. This is so, and, and our, uh, our particular farm uh, situated where it is and being so close to, this, to the port where all the grain is exported from or one of the four ports where the grain is exported from, uh, our land is all arable. So it means we do 100% cropping, but we don't cultivate anymore. We do it all in uh, no-till farming unless we have a potato crop every now and again, which we actually lease the land out to somebody else who does the potatoes. But basically, we are 100% agriculture, no-till farming. 
Um, and as I said, that's because of the quality of the land that we are sitting on. Uh, now, we also, as a business, administrate some farms for some other clients, and those farms happen to have uh, cattle on them as well as cropping because there are parts of the farm that are not suitable to agriculture. That'll be the, the soil quality is inferior or there are times when parts of those fields go underwater, so it's more suitable to have a pasture and graze than to have a corn crop, of which you've invested a lot of money on, that probably one year out of four goes under underwater. So that's basically um, why we do 100% agriculture. And that same farm that I'm talking about, when I was young, when I was a kid, it was a mixed farm. We do four years of pasture and graze cattle and sheep, and then we do four or five years of agriculture. But as it was tillage, we'd get soil deterioration, we'd lose soil structure, so therefore we'd have to go back to a pasture for another four years to get the <clears throat> structure back. And then we'd probably start with potatoes as a first crop and then carry on with wheat and corn and sunflower. And then five years later, go back to grass. That's the way it used to be until no-till farming came along in the beginning of the 1990s. And that was one of the big jumps in Argentine uh, grain production because a lot, of, a lot more land went into crops and didn't go into pasture. And do you think, so it's very interesting, and we are seeing a, an increase in reduced tillage. So obviously we've got different soils, different climatic issues. The, the plough is still important in Scottish agriculture, but not, not nearly as important as it was. And we're certainly seeing more direct drilling and, and a move away from that, mostly to do with, or partly to do with costs and mostly to do with a soil health and, and, and structure. So with that in mind, you're continuous arable operation how how do we maintain f fertility in that soil without dung grass you know i always have in mind that the deepest soils in the world are below grazed grasslands so the the pampas the steppes the prairies in, in america you know these these hugely fertile areas often or, or, or as a as a species, we've found these areas to be hugely fertile. Is there a risk that your no-till farming still erodes some of that fertility and soil structure down? You know, if we go fast forward 50 years, do you think we'll need to bring cattle back into these areas? We don't see that as happening as such, uh, even though those who like cattle would probably like to see cattle back in the rotation. You never know. It might... It it might happen, it might happen. But uh, as regards, uh, we fertilize with phosphorus, which is the element that, uh, that we need to maintain. Um, we don't have to worry about potassium so far. We fertilize with phosphorus, nitrogen, a bit of sulfur. Um, so, so we keep our, our, our levels up by applying fertilizer. Um, we do now incorporate to a certain extent, but we're only starting with uh, what we call service crops, uh, something we will plant between one crop and the next and kill it off 
In some cases, there's a little bit of grazing involved, but uh, we don't till it. We just kill it off with Roundup and other herbicides and let whatever grew, we let it rot uh, because we're interested in keeping our soil covered. Uh, if, we have, if, if we didn't use the service crops, we have some periods, some months of the year in our rotation in which the soil would, would, would be bare. In our case, where we are at our latitudes, we, we, we're fairly cold during our winters, so we don't get the crop residues blowing away or, or disappearing too quickly anyway. Further up in the north of the countries with higher temperatures, you do have four or five months between when you harvest your soybean in April and you plant your next corn, in some cases as late as November. So there you've got all the winter and part of the spring in which your your fields will become bare, and there you'll be you'll be looking to plant veg, or maybe oats, or, or something that'll grow, and then then be we be dried off with with herbicides, and and will have taken care of your soil not being bare for those winter months. Of course, remember we don't have snow. Our winters are totally different. Um, at, at our main cropping area is, say, 500 kilometers north of where we are, uh, and there the winters are, are cold for a short period of time, but certainly no snow cover or anything like that. Yeah, a different world. It's it, the this the service cropping, as you call it. The we we now have a lot of cover cropping in Scotland, and it's interesting from a subsidy point of view. So the government from a EFA ecological focus area as part of our a basic payment scheme arable farmers had to they had a list of options that they had to undertake and one of them they could establish a cover crop and I think it's fair to say that the government dragged most arable farmers kicking kicking and screaming to do this and then within what's that maybe say in the last seven years the change has been from negative it's something we've got to do to something that people are seeing as so positive that they now want to do and where i have one client where he we wanted to look for the absolute minimum and cheapest way of doing it and he now puts his whole farm in a cover crop and that's in a change in not more than five years so it's interesting to see the similarities there and certainly you hear, you know, Gabe Brown and all the regenerative agriculture stuff, you know, the living root in the soil at all times is a real, you know, it's, it's, it's a no brainer really. The, the interesting thing I think I, I found in, in Argentina was the, what you, what you term a winter crop, we, we would establish a crop in the winter and it lies dormant for the winter, whereas you're actually growing and harvesting early spring, isn't it? There's three crops in two years will be pretty common. Yes, <clears throat> yes. Um, most of our, wherever we do what we call a winter crop, which is wheat or barley planted uh, at the beginning of our winter, we're planting now, June, uh, May, June, July is when we can plant our, our barley and wheat. Um, we can harvest that at the beginning of our summer, summer, which is end of November, beginning of December, and plant a second crop. This second crop is a summer crop. In most cases, it's soybean, but in some cases, it's corn 
and in some cases it's sunflower. So when we do what we call a winter crop, which is a winter cereal, we've got the opportunity, if we have enough humidity at planting time at the beginning of the summer, to put in a double crop. When we do corn as a main crop, it's the one corn, one crop in the year. If we do sunflower, it's the one crop in the year. And we can also do soya bean at the end of spring as a one crop in the year. Um, but when we harvest these summer crops, we then probably have a period of time, if we're going to a summer crop again, of putting in a cover crop, as I said, mainly of, of vetch or some some clovers maybe or or, or oats, um, uh, triticale that, that it's also used. Um, so that's that's the way farming is going. Same same sort of thing you were talking about. More more emphasis put on looking after our soil, which is our main asset. Then you also mentioned something which is completely different. Uh, in the UK and Scotland compared to, to South America is subsidies. Um, your, your government, your, your urban society is prepared to use taxpayers' money uh, to keep farmers farming and by from what you say today, uh, keep, keep farmers on the right track as regarding looking after their soil. Our urban society uh, lives off what the farming sector produces. We have some very important direct taxes uh, on our price, for example, our sale price, what we call retentions. On soybean, the government takes 33% of the international price, so we can only sell, aspire to, uh, to sell at 67% of the international price. And, and there are other taxes involved, uh, which means that when the farming sector has a hundred, a hundred pounds, if to talk in your money, profit, government takes sixty or seventy percent of that profit. So, um, yeah, we look upon upon uh, subsidies as something that doesn't exist for us, uh, and other, and we do observe that other. Countries in Europe do use them as part of uh, making farming feasible because I understand that if those subsidies were not uh, made available to the farmers, their economic cycle wouldn't wouldn't uh, be positive. Yeah, it's a it's a very interesting, you know, it's a polar opposite situation, and and I think sometimes as far or often as farmers. Um, we don't realise how lucky we are to farm where we do. You know, we've got we've got challenges of scale, and often we've got challenges of climate. But we do have government support. Sometimes it feels that like we've got lots of government support. Sometimes it feels like that's that's waning a little, depending on where we are in election cycles or or whatever. But as it stands, you know, we, we are in a pretty positive position. The one area I suppose we are getting we don't get much for nothing now and it looks as if going forward there's going to be more conditionality and more 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 things attached to our payment so more climate change type policy biodiversity policies attached to that basically so we're not we're not getting a blank or we're not getting a check for um 
for doing nothing. It's a check and rewarding for positive public goods, I suppose. What What is the government position in Argentina when it comes to climate change, biodiversity? Are we on that page yet at all? Or is it still, you know, is that very much led by the market? No, I'd say there are certain people in, in who dictate government policy who do have this in mind. But you've been here and you can remember uh, how many other more pressing issues politicians have to take care of first. Um, we, we're at a very interesting stage again. We're going to have general elections in October. Uh, we've had the present government has been in for nearly four years. They finish in December and we're hoping for a change of government. Um, but uh, yes, climate change is, is, is something everybody uh, thinks about. I mean, we don't, we, we, we don't want to see motor cars pumping uh, uncooked diesel, as it were, into the atmosphere. I mean, we, we, we realize that, that that is harmful. We still can't quite understand uh, what's behind uh, diagnosing the cattle industry as, as a big uh, negative influence on, on all this. We, we, we still have to be convinced that uh, cattle chewing on grass is, is bad for the climate. But... I reckon in the next few years we'll, that that'll be clarified. Um, something you brought up before was was um, how easy is it to farm? Uh, depends where you are, and we do realise that we're very privileged and that we can do three crops in two years. Uh, we've got large scale and be be able to be efficient with our machinery. We've got a very easy climate. <clears throat> Our cattle are outdoor, outdoors all year round. We don't have to put them inside at all. We do we do run with a lot of uh, natural advantages as to uh, which at the end of the day make up the cost at which you produce a pound of beef, for example, or or what does it cost you to produce a ton of wheat? Um, so so there are two different worlds in in that aspect. But then again, um, thanks to our own decisions and who we voted to be our governors over the last hundred years, uh, our infrastructure isn't what it is. Our paved roads are not what they should be. Uh, and, and there are a lot of things that we need to, to address in order to, to improve. But basically, there are, there are other issues that are probably more important. I mean... When, when, when we have to choose our politicians, at the end of the day, we are deciding who's going to educate our children in our country. And we've got a very bad record of uh, poverty and, and, and people who haven't had a decent education. So, so you know, uh, farming is important. It's what we produce. It's what the country lives off. But we really, if we want to be a better society, have to start concentrating on on these other issues which affect us uh, every day. And it it really that really highlights the the global challenge we've got here. You know, the the whole climate change story 
is is here and, and I think there's not there's there's there are debates all the time as to whether it's a cycle or what it is but the our climate certainly is changing we're just in the middle of our just come to the end of a drought in southwest Scotland which is quite unusual um you know things are changing but it isn't the sole priority and we, we often have that conversation with farm businesses so you, we deal with farm businesses all the time and effectively they are you know a government is a big business so the farm business and a government have a lot of similarities and those farm businesses we we, we can't make decisions exclusively based on climate change policy or climate change outcomes you know we need to make sure there's a cash flow make sure there's enough money to pay debt enough money to to draw and live off and you know that that our our small business scenario versus that government scenario is exactly the same it's quite nice to be on this podcast government funded listening to someone being critical of the government and not worrying because it's not scottish government it's argentinian government so something um something different and i think when 2014 when we were across i think we all left with that in mind that we are so lucky that we're in a it's, it's perhaps perhaps a stage of development that our country's at or, or where we're at but we've i think a more mature agricultural system you know we don't we've not you've got a system where we where something makes money and you tax the living daylights out it um and and make it very very difficult to succeed the one thing you you did say about and i'm, I'm conscious we're on a livestock podcast so we better talk about cows really so you were mentioning about where cows sit in the in the climate change story and we'll not bang on any more about climate change but the beef system in argentina is so so interesting and, and probably what your whole agriculture has been based on up till roundup ready soya and, and and recent years so the I, I, one i suppose for context the one of the most amazing things we saw or for me it was probably quite a quite a dull thing for someone who wasn't totally interested in cows but we went went on a visit and saw somebody with a herd of angus cows who had now taken to burning off so he was a desiccating grass to have a standing crop of hay to make sure that his cows weren't getting too fat grazing this stuff through the winter and that was the point when we were realizing that our highest cost point so our, in scottish beef production the winter's the killer so that's the time that we spend all the money maintaining live weight of of dry cows now this guy was burning off grass to make sure his cows didn't get too fat on stuff that was costing them nothing so the the pampas the grassland areas the the beef system how do we how do we sum up what argentinian beef production looks like without talking all day because i could <laughs> uh there are two there are more than two but let's just concentrate on two major areas where where we do our breeding um there's there's an there's a depression in the pampas which is prone to flooding, um, where you'll crop the good land that you know won't flood, but there's not it's too high risk to plant a crop where it probably will flood. The fact that it probably does flood also means that you don't have very high quality pastures, because if you spend a lot of money in planting pasture and then it gets flooded, you've lost it as well. So there's a big area 
in, in the pampas where the breeding cow uh, lives on what we call natural grass, which will sometimes get flooded, which will sometimes get a drought and, and, and die off. And it, but it'll, it'll, it'll usually green up and come back again when the water goes or, or, or when you get some rain. And in, in that part of the pampas, the main breed is Aberinangus because it's uh, the Aberinangus that we have here is, is a hardy breed. Um, it'll, it'll have to carve unassisted. So you'll, you'll notice that we're not going for a big uh, frame cow. We've we got to go for a cow, for a cow that, can, that can carve easily and go through what we consider a hard winters, which are uh, low, lower grass production, and, and, and they've got to get through that winter to make it through to the spring when, when the grass is, is good again. And then there's another part of the country which is in the north, higher temperatures, and it is where the cattle have been pushed up into because all the rest of the land that used to be cattle breeding land went into agriculture because no-till farming came along and made it feasible. And there you'll find that the breeding cow is a crossbred with a boss indicus. It'll be a Brangus or a Braford cross with Hereford or with Angus mainly. There are a few herds of uh, European breeds, limousine, Charolais, uh, or their crosses. But basically, uh, the, the, the Argentine herd is made up of pure Angus, pure Hereford, Angus cross with, with, with Braford, so Angus cross with Brahman to make Brangus, and Hereford's cross with Brahman to make Braford. Uh, these indicus crosses will be producing a bigger framed animal that'll fatten off at a higher weight and, and, and an older animal, over two years old normally, whereas the British breeds under two years old, and as you saw in the market, we, we consume a lot of beef uh, at a much younger age than you do in, in, in Scotland. Uh, probably uh, uh, steers of 350 kilos live weight, 400 kilos live weight, even though we're trying to push those weights up, we do get a premium on, on the lighter animal because of its tenderness for the local market. But, um, uh, and, and another thing that has changed is a high percentage of our fattened cattle are now fattened off on feedlots, whereas 25, 30 years ago, it was mainly on grass, on, on alfalfa pastures, and now we got a very high percentage of our cattle go through, um, go through feedlots. Uh, silage, corn, barley silage, uh, barley it, it consumed as grain as well. So, so things have changed over the last few years and, and are changing. Um, then again, uh, what we export isn't what we would want to export. We have a, a restriction from our government on what, what cuts of beef can be exported and what can't. Uh, today, a lot of our a high percentage of our export is cull cows. 75% uh, of our beef exports today go to China. 20 years ago, that wasn't the case. We were always looking at Europe and the, and the high price 
cuts, uh, the Hilton cut going to, to Europe, and and a few high-priced cuts going to the States. And again, that'll change. If the government changes, they'll be much more prone to, to incentivating production and export. Uh, but if this government stays in, they will keep restricting uh, uh, certain exports so that there's enough beef for the internal market at lower prices. Um, all those things change so often in Argentina that it's very difficult to make long-term plans. Therefore, uh, we don't have the investment that we should in the industry. We do have uh, uh, some abattoirs that are very modern and have had a lot of investment uh, put into them uh, in the last few years. But there's always that cloud ahead of we don't know what the next bloke is going to do when he comes in. Well, we toured one of those, you know, a, a huge abattoir, probably the biggest, certainly far bigger than anything we would have in this country, toured a, a derelict abattoir and it would be, had been closed down because the person that owned it voted for the wrong parliament or, or did he say the wrong thing you know it was yes it was it was it was an old abattoir we went to a very famous one because it was the one that uh, used to make the corn beef uh, and send it over to to europe during the war um so so it was a very famous place but but the machinery and stuff used were from those from the from those days, I, I happened to go to a modern abattoir two or three months ago, uh, and really the technology that is being used today is is top class. Uh, and and well, it it actually was an abattoir that was also um, uh, it it had the standards to be able to export to Israel and to the Muslim countries. So the slaughter was actually done by the rabbi or by the Muslim. Uh, cleric, so that was just an anecdote. But I mean, the 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 quality of what today is being exported from Argentina is is top quality. Um, we do we do still have some some. Uh, I'm not sure if interference is the word. Some sort of guidelines from Europe regarding uh, if the beef was produced on a farm that where a tree was chopped down. Um, in, fa in fact, they're, 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 they're worried about the land that has been cleared. Um, but that's something that uh, South America has to, to deal with. Brazil, I'd have thought, has, to, uh, has the same situation. They've cleared a lot of land in order to produce. But if we, if we don't, um, if, this, if, if our land isn't uh, made productive, then we'll probably have to over-fertilize the land that we do have today and other such issues. But it's something that, that with time um, will, will, will be sorted out, I think, because um, the same happened with our, with our soybean crop. Um, some European countries would say, well, we won't buy your soybean crop from that part of the country because we know that some of the land was cleared in order to make it productive. But these are the things we deal with these days. And, and uh, it also ends up affecting the price of food worldwide, because if we're only going to produce on, on a certain portion of the land we have, well, then we'll, produce, we'll be producing much less food.
And I think seeing what you, you know, the, the scrub areas that have been cleared for production obviously have an impact. You know, there's obviously a loss of native bush biodiversity story, but it's not prime Amazon rainforest. You know, it's scrub similar to what we would have here as scrub land. You know, it's, it's, uh, and I think Argentina is obviously also in a different place in terms of Brazil seem to be failing whole scale. You know, there's, there's huge tracts of that country getting opened up every year. Argentina, are you about there or do you think, is there much more that could be, that will be cleared going forward as a trend still to clear more? There, there, there is land that can still be made productive that has, uh, that has, as you say, scrub, low, low, low productive forest. Uh, no, it's not forest, it's scrubland. But we do, we, we have uh, undertaken studies in which um, uh, not everything can be, can be cut down. Um, a, lo- a lot of areas are protected and, and we do look after our diversity uh, in, in wildlife and, and, and vegetable species. So, so I don't think there's, there's, there's a major issue. There is a, there is a consciousness of not clearing land just for, for clearing purposes. Um, uh, there is a, there, and there's also, and if going back to cattle production, there's also a, uh, uh, a trend towards, uh, producing cattle, uh, or clearing certain parts of an area where cattle can graze without clearing the whole lot of it in order to do a agriculture of low production. We can, we can have systems in which cattle are grazing just by clearing a, a certain amount of low scrub out and leaving the higher, more productive trees standing. And you can produce a reasonable amount of beef by grazing what's there. So, so um, there are areas where, where beef production will, will still increase without knocking everything down, as it were. Yeah, yeah. Now, I suppose where we're heading to here, the question is, so we are now post-Brexit, um, Brexit was a thing actually when we were out we were talking about probably tongue in cheek because at that stage it was just an annoying or I'm showing my hand there but it's um, it was just a, a conversation really that was happening and, and there was talk of it now it's now it's happened it's done and the UK is part of or it's no longer part of the or protected by the European Union it's it's now a global player in its own right so should Scottish farmers, Scottish beef producers, be concerned about what's happening in Argentina at the moment. Is there is there a, a risk? Are you the story is you guys are just going to swamp us with cheap beef? Do you think that's the case? No, no, I, I wouldn't say that's the case. Uh, the world has to keep increasing its production because the population is still growing. Um, so so. I don't know how much more beef Scotland can produce than it, it is producing today. Argentina certainly can produce more beef that, uh, that it's, than what it's doing today, but there are world markets uh, that, that, are, that are waiting 
to be able to buy uh, our production. I can't see uh, our beef uh, going to the UK except for some prime cuts uh, that there is a demand in, in the UK and, and Europe for these high price cuts um, from some of our animals. But as, but as I said, 75 production of what we export uh, goes to China and it's, and it's uh, a high percentage of that is old cows, which they are avid for and they, they consume. And here our population uh, is not very keen on, on consuming. Um, uh, I'd, I'd have thought probably, and, and the records show it, that the country that's increased its production enormously over the last 20 years has been Brazil. And now be and now Paraguay. So maybe those 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 countries will will keep increasing supply, but I can't see that um, that that it, that it's going to end up on the on the on the Scottish uh, markets. Um, I think I think you produce uh, you produce very well for your for your uh, qualified market your internal market and then again I mean your your government policies have always showed that um, they're not going to let uh, cheap cheap beef go into into Scotland and and put your farmers out of business I, I can't see that happening I really I hope you're right and I'm, I, it's always good to get an international view on what's happening because I think we we all get too focused on our own domestic policy and and you know what's what's happening on a very local level and the impact that huge macroeconomic stuff might happen might have and actually if we, if we take a big step back as you see the population's expanding beef consumption's good we've had as so far we've had a good summer and we're sitting back in the sunshine eating beef the demands there supplies there you know i think it's at the moment we're at a point where we should be kicking on and, and going farming really um, so Alan that's been really good the final question I've got for you is when are you so you hosted us in Argentina when when are you heading back to um, where you were schooled when are you heading to Scotland uh, beginning of October I think we have a couple of weeks we've we've uh, earmarked to to fly over arriving in in England and probably driving the idea is to drive up uh, through through England and get up to Scotland and go up to the very north and maybe then see if we can come down the west coast and and go into Ireland for two three days. So we don't have too much time, but but we want to get around and and I want to show Cynthia Scotland where I spent some of my ill-spent youth. <laughs> And we'll not go into too much detail on that, but, but <laughs> you must when you're over. Let, let me know when you're here because we had. I often say when I when we were in Argentina, we had I had 17 steaks in nine days, and I had 17 <laughs> of the best steaks of my life, and I needed a rest from steak. But I'm ready for another good steak now, so um, we'll definitely meet up sometime and, and take you out for a good Scottish steak rather than an Argentinian one. I'll let you know uh, with a few days in advance so you can get prepared. Perfect. Perfect. Alan, that's been great. Thank you very much. A pleasure. Pleasure. Throughout 2023, the Farm Advisory Service will be running a series of webinars under the Sustainable Beef Systems Project. 
The series features expertise from farmers and industry specialists on key management-related topics with the aim of maximising efficiency and driving beef systems forward. Topics covered will be outwintering strategies, weaning, health planning, grazing strategies and maximising fertility. For more information and to register your interest, see the show notes below and follow the QR code. And now for a quick animal health update from SRUC Vet Services. I'm Tim Geraghty. I'm a, a vet working for SRUC Vet Services out of the Aberdeen uh, Disease Surveillance Hub. So the major um, disease problems we've seen across the Scotland Surveillance Network this summer are, are largely in line with what we'd, we would expect. Um, so certainly plenty of parasites, um, particularly nematodirus in young lambs and, and coccidiosis in both ca- calves and lambs. Um, really, the, the main peak of the parasite season is just ahead of us now. It's just starting now. So parasite burdens on grass will now be very high uh, and we can expect, um, uh, you know, enteritis and scour to, uh, to really be holding back animal performance from here. Uh, just a wee reminder, there is government support for doing uh, faecal egg counting to monitor for, uh, for parasites uh, where you can claim up to £250 to investigate parasite problems in young stock um, uh, and if you're uh, through the sustainable farming um, initiative and uh, please look into that if uh, if that could be relevant to you. Um, lungworm is also coming into its peak season so the next eight weeks we'll see the peak lungworm cases so any new cough in, in animals at grass particularly cattle uh, please contact your vet and, and remember to think of lungworm uh, and certainly carrying a lung, lungworm burden around the year is uh, ill-advised and should be treated uh, as soon as possible and we are also experiencing very high numbers of sheep scab across Scotland so please be watching out for uh, itchy sheep um, and be sure to call in your vet and again there is government support for uh, testing for scab if you suspect the disease and it's much easier dealt with uh, the earlier it's detected. Um, good time of year to think about uh, weaning vaccines uh, and preparing for weaning so in, in, in the sheep we're probably at or very close to weaning now so it's a little bit late to get a full course in but if you haven't thought through about uh, giving a weaning vaccine uh, to your lambs there's probably still enough time for lots of us to get some benefit from a pre-wean dose uh, so again speak to your vet uh, and the cattle guys we have a bit longer to prepare for calf weaning for most of us uh, but please start planning now and, and the critical parts about a planning for a successful weaning are to separate stressful events like uh, weaning and housing and moving uh, and maximise immunity through eliminating other diseases, um, ensuring adequate nutrition and of course topping up with a vaccine uh, in, in an appropriate time frame. If you enjoyed listening to Stock Talk, you may enjoy some of our other podcasts, such as Crofting Matters, which is a 12-part monthly show that discusses all things crofting in Scotland, including livestock management. You may also enjoy our new podcast, Agriculture, which tells the stories of some interesting and influential people in the agricultural industry. Just search Crofting Matters or Agriculture wherever you get your podcasts from. The Farm Advisory Service Podcast. Audio advice on livestock, crops and soils, environment, rural business and more. Brought to you in association with the Scottish Government.